Well, thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen, for tuning in to yet another week of the Colin Truesdale Jazz Jam here on KCMJ.org. That first tune you heard was a tune called It's All About the Hustle off of my latest recording coming out here in October called It's All About the Hustle, featuring Sean Hanlon and Paul Shaw on the drum set. So in the studio today, ladies and gentlemen, we are in for a real treat. We have someone with very, very serious credentials in this music industry that we are living in. And I'm talking about that of Mr. Thomas Dawson, who is an extraordinary pianist and also the musical director for the world-famous Commodores. And then I'm also joined here by our engineer, who's making it all happen, Mr. Sean Hanlon. So he normally plays the piano, but today he had to move over, which is kind of a new thing for us. (laughs) So Thomas Dawson... Thank you so much for coming in, man. It is honor to have you on this show. Hey, man. man. Thank you so much for having me. I am so honored to be here, man. Thank you so much. Thomas Dawson is one of those guys that anytime you're around him, you can't help but feel good and smile. That's the one thing I always remember about you, man. <laughs> I love life, man. <laughs> <laughs> so, Thomas, I just want to dive right into it, man. So, can you tell us how you got started in music and it had to have been from a very early age and... Yeah, it was. I always knew as a kid that I, I wanted to play music. It was never any doubt in my mind. You know, my mom told me that uh, when I was a toddler, you know, she would notice that uh, I would, you know, when the music would come on in commercial, I would stop and pay attention to it. Oh, yeah. And then the, once the music left, then I would go back you know, to destroying the house, stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it was something that's always been a part of me, man. I never thought of doing anything else. So was piano your first instrument? No, actually, piano was my last instrument. Really? Yeah, I started off uh, drums early on in 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 uh, elementary school playing in you know the band, and then I went to trumpet and trombone, and I decided that I w- and then I discovered the bass guitar like about eighth eighth grade ninth grade somewhere in there. So I kind of kept all of those going, but I ended up going to college on a trumpet scholarship. Really? Mm-hmm. Interesting. Trumpet, yeah, I was, <laughs> I was a trumpet major. Man, so so when you were in high school, uh, you were in high school band and whatnot. And mm-hmm. where was this? Where, where did you grow up? This was in a little town called St. Francisville, Louisiana. It's about 30, 30 miles north of Baton Rouge, Louisiana, which is the capital. Yeah. Yeah. And so you were in high school band and whatnot, right? Mm-hmm. And then uh, did, you, did you study with anyone on the trumpet, I guess? Uh, I had a, a couple teachers, um, trumpet-wise, um, but I started off doing a lot of listening because I lived in a very remote oh, area. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so the only radio station that I could listen to uh, growing up as a kid was a country station. Oh, yeah. So I grew up learning and cutting my chops on country music, which was my first love and still one of my loves. Interesting. Man, I didn't discover jazz until college. So, so when you, got, you, you went to high school and did th- they have all the high school band and everything... And then you went to, you got a scholarship, right? You said, mm-hmm. uh, to what university? Uh, to Southern University in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We had a very famous jazz instructor, Mr. Alvin Batiste. So people came from all over the country just to uh, actually study with him Interesting. And, and be a part of his thing. So some of my classmates were people like Randy Jackson, American Idol. Really? Randy was a phenomenal bass player, still is a yeah. phenomenal bass player. And he was one year ahead of me, so we would practice together all the time. <laughs> And then a couple of years under me was actually Bramford, 
Marcellus and Donald Harris in that class. So, Jeez, so it was always a who's who of cats. And you knew these cats were going to be special. You knew they were special even when they came to school. So. Man, oh, man. Well, you heard it here on, on the on the uh, Colin Truesdale Jazz Jam. We got Mr. Thomas Dawson. I want to dive right in and get some music going so you can hear how awesome he is at the piano. Um, and I didn't. Do you still play the trumpet? No. <laughs> that's <laughs> something, <laughs> man. That's something that goes really fast. If you're not playing every day, or if yeah. you know, it goes really, 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 really quick. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, you want to play a tune? Yeah. All right, this is uh, Days of Wine and Roses, Thomas Dawson's arrangement. Key of G. Oh, the key of G. Yeah, we did it in G. Well, you're throwing some wrenches on me now. (laughs) We can handle that.
The Days of Wine and Roses, Thomas Dowson's Arrangement in G. <laughs> here on the Colin Truesdale Jazz Jam on KCMJ.org. If you are interested in helping us put this on the FM dial, we're slated to have 93.9, but we need your help to gain the necessary equipment to get this station on the FM dial. So what you can do, you can head on over to the KCMJ.org website. You can adopt a watt. You can purchase that watt for $100. We're searching for 100 donations, and, uh, and that would help us out greatly and, and get us on the FM dial because right now we're only on the Internet, which is cool, but it would be awesome to be on 93.9. So if you can, go over there. Please help us out. In the, but in the meantime, we have Mr. Thomas Dawson in our studio here on the Colin Truesdale Jazz Jam. So, Thomas, you went to school on a, was it a full trumpet scholarship? Yeah, a trumpet scholarship, <laughs> was in, and I was in a marching band and all that stuff. So, so, so I guess what happened after that? I mean, you know, did you still get out of there and then continue to play the trumpet? or? Uh, yeah, well, the band director there, Dr. Isaac Greggs, uh, was a famous band director for sure, uh, but also he was a great trumpet player himself, and he and he had us a, a jazz sextet. It was Dr. Isaac Greggs' jazz band. It really was a Dixieland kind of band, and and I was the only student that was, the, that was in the band, and we worked as ambassadors for the state of Louisiana. So we were, so the state of Louisiana would send us around the world promoting... Um, music for, for the Department of Tourism. So right then I decided and learned real early that I didn't want to be a music teacher. I wanted to perform live and, 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 and see the world. Interesting. So that changed my life. So, so you went from that and, and you were still on trumpet, right? Mm-hmm. But that I was playing bass guitar, though. Oh, okay. Yeah, I became the bass player for that band. So then how, how did, what happened after that? Gosh, I, man, I toured for probably five years on the base th- uh-huh all through college i mean gosh i mean all over the world i mean awesome so you you did you get any uh so how did you get to where you are now like that's kind of so how did the um so you toured all all around the world on, on the base mm-hmm. and then uh you know what was kind of like a um the big break at that period in your life well, well, the big break for me was that that part exposed me to so much music and and so many different styles of music. Mm. Uh, our jazz instructor, Mr. Mr. Baptiste, would always say that you have to learn to speak in jazz, but you have to learn to speak in funk. You have to learn to speak in R&B. You have to learn to speak in classical. And he really approached it from languages situation. So it wasn't like just being a great jazz musician. You had to also turn around and be a pop and just and a funk musician. And I kind of came to school, and when I started learning jazz, I became a little jazz snob, you know, actually <laughs> for a minute, you know. And I thought, you know, I kind of looked down on other musics, you know, sad to say, but I, but 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 actually I did. And the in the first blues gig I got called on, it was I mean it was a real blues singer that that had records and toured. And I said, well, you know, how hard could blues be? Come on, it's four chords, come on. And when I stepped on stage and played and started playing with them, playing piano with the band, and everybody stopped and looked and said, nope, that's not it. You're approaching it from a jazz. This is blues. And it forced me to really go back and really listen and started 
respecting all music and really learning to respect it and learn to speak the language and not just learn the language, but also learn the dialect. Because, you know, cats in in Chicago play a little different from from Louisiana cats and L.A. cats play different from New York cats. So learning to speak in all those different dialects. Interesting. Yeah. So uh, you graduated, obviously, right? Mm -hmm. And then what happened? Then I moved to L.A. and and started doing a lot of session work and things like that. And one of the record producers that had done a lot of records for knew that the Commodores were in the market for another pianist. And this is when you were in your early, your mid-20s or so? I'm in my mid-20s. Then. Yeah, I was about 27, 28 then. And so... Uh, there's a new slot for the musical director as the Commodores. It was just a keyboard player then. Uh, they, oh, okay. Yeah, they already had their music director at that time. So I came out and actually auditioned for it. And um, so, the, so back up. So you 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 went to school on trumpet. Mm-hmm. You 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 finished school basically on bass, right? Yeah. And I then was, where was the piano in all of this? Uh, yeah, well. I, I had always played piano for a lot of churches. I played a lot of jazz gigs in town, uh, you know, when uh, right after college. So, uh, and, you know, and the cool thing is that when the Meridian Hotel opened in New Orleans, I was the pianist for the hotel. <laughs> but the cool thing is that I would do a happy hour gig from six to eight on, on piano. And then at 8.30, I'll play bass with the band that would come on after that. So, <laughs> <laughs> Man, oh, man. That's crazy. Okay, so now we're all up to speed. Okay, so uh, you're out in Los Angeles. You auditioned for the Commodores. What was that like? Well, gosh, it was mind-boggling because when I was in college, the second major concert I ever attended was a Commodore concert. And I sat there with my cousin, uh, and I remember... Crystal clear saying, man, one day I'm, I'm going to play with the Commodores. I just felt it. I knew it. But even though I was playing bass and piano, when I, when I had that revelation I would be with the Commodores, I saw myself as being playing piano with them, not bass, which was weird because I had already learned all their tunes on bass. I was shed and learned records. And I, and I wouldn't learn their music on piano. I would learn it on bass. Mm-hmm. But that revelation, I knew I was going to play piano with the Commodores. And I was, it took eight years for that to, you know, to actually manifest, but, but it happened. <laughs> Interesting. Well, let's play a little Commodores. This is Easy Like Sunday Morning with Thomas Dawson playing the piano. Sunday morning 
You're listening to the Colin Truesdale Jazz Jam here on KCMJ.org. We got Mr. Thomas Dawson, the musical director and pianist for the Commodores Ensemble. I guess it's not really an ensemble. It's the Commodores. Yes, the Commodores, yeah. So um, you want to talk a little bit about that last track, Easy Like Sunday Morning? Yeah, man, that's such a special track. Uh, That was Lionel Richie, who actually wasn't the original... um, singer for the Commodores, or the piano player. Lionel was actually the saxophone player in the band, (laughs) (laughs) which most people don't know that. No. Yeah, yeah. but but Lionel was just writing these great tunes and and singing them, and he just became the voice, but that wasn't the way that it started out. But uh, 
And, you know, once I joined the Commodores and started touring with them, I would obviously listen to all the stories about the great Motown days and, and the process of recording all that music with, with the brilliant producer James Carmichael they had, and arranger James Carmichael. And I found myself, you know, longing for that opportunity to actually hear it go down like that and actually be a part of the creative process. And you have to be careful what you ask for. I'm truly a believer that anything is possible. And the Commodores had signed a deal with a company called KTEL Music to re-release their greatest hits, 20 of their greatest hits. And and they signed the deal assuming that Motown was going to agree uh, to let them use the masters, and Motown said no. Oh. So the Commodores are already under contract to d- deliver this product. So they asked me, and at that time, the music director, Harold Hudson, who was there from the very beginning, to go in and listen to the records and transcribe them and play everything back note for note. So it was a nine-month process for us doing 20 of the greatest hits. And then in the middle of probably the first or second song, because we, we were fortunate enough to actually get the original engineer, Cal Harris, to record it. Wow. And then the Commodores were in there singing, and we had already laid all the music down. And it really hit me that, wow, this is actually happening. I'm actually hearing the music and working with the Commodores, even though they had done that eight, ten years before I joined. What year was this? This was like uh, late ni- early 90s, like 93, 94. Okay. But uh, it gave me the opportunity to actually relive that and be in the Commodores, be in the studio with them and actually listening to them, sing the vocals. Yeah. And it was like a huge thing. So, so I got a chance to play piano and bass and arrange on the 20 of the greatest hits. Man, oh, man. Volume one and volume two. So you played bass on that tune? Uh-huh, on that and piano. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? What, what bass were you using? Uh, Fender Precision. Yeah, it sounds like an old P bass. Old P bass, man. That was that was the sound. Interesting. That was the sound. Man, oh man, that's crazy. Uh, well, I hope you're listening in into this program and and as and are as engaged as I am, uh, Thomas. So, what happened? Uh, what happened next? I mean, so it's like 1993. You guys do this greatest hits re-record. Um, you know, I mean, the Commodores is one of the biggest bands on the planet, you know, in, in that in that realm. Yeah, what well, was going on there? Well, the interesting thing is that this is my 26th year with the band. So talking about having a, a career, and and they've been together 40, 40, this is their 43rd year. Wow. And that, you know, the, the funny thing is that I've been there longer than Lionel, <laughs> which, <laughs> which, which is hilarious, but... So, yeah. so man, so... Uh, so, so what can you tell us what was going on in the '90s with the band? We were do, we were touring a lot. We were doing a lot of stuff overseas. We were doing a lot of stuff domestically. Here, uh, we were working on uh, records. They had already um, done their stint with Motown. They had also done their run with Polygram Records, and then they started their own label as well. So we recorded uh, a few albums for that, and I would co-produce all their records with them. So we're doing that a lot, and then I was playing, you know, just being the typical LA session cat, and yeah. playing as much as I could. When you I was in you town. were still playing a lot, mm-hmm. doing doing mm-hmm. uh, side projects and whatnot, right? Uh, yeah, I was. Awesome. Yeah. Well, would you like to play another tune? Yeah, man. All right, you want to do a ballad? Yeah, let's do. Uh, who can I turn to? In the key of G. 
All right, that's a good key. All right, <laughs> just do that. <laughs> G for good. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> <laughs>
You're listening to Thomas Dawson here on the Colin Truesdale Jazz Jam, KCMJ.org. That was a good old ballad, Who Can I Turn To? So, Thomas, I've heard some crazy stories from you, man, and I would like you to share with our listeners some of the coolest stories you've got out there. I mean, I've heard stories from you touring to Thailand and all these crazy places. So, uh, please, just let us have it, man. Oh, man. Some of the coolest ones. Maybe top five, I guess. Wow. Let's see, man. Dude, it's so many. Where do we start, man? I don't know, man. I'm just, I just feel I'm just, I'm just one of the most fortunate and blessed people I know because I get a chance to do this and have done this. And actually, I've actually worked with pretty much all of my idols in some way or some fashion or another, man. I mean, from the Stevie Wonders to the interesting thing is that we just got off uh, the road last week of doing this Legend of Motown tour. And where's the Temptations, the Commodores, and the Jacksons? And to actually be in the room and, and be on the same ticket in the bill with people that have actually helped shape your life musically, mm. it's just such a cool thing, man. It's crazy. Yeah, so, gosh, I just got those kind of things that I'm just very humbled by and just very uh, honored by. Uh, a strange thing that happened for me is that I moved to Nashville before I moved to L.A. And and I had a recording studio in, in Baton Rouge. Uh, I was a partner with, uh, which is the reason that I'm here, is actually about a gentleman by the name of Perry Sanders, who actually uh, owns the the Wyndham Grand downtown and the mining and Springs Orleans Hotel. So Perry and I uh, had a record label together. We also had a recording studio together in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. So then we ended up moving uh, the studio to Nashville and we picked up another partner in Nashville, which was a, a drummer by the name of Eddie Bears Jr. At the, and this was, this is probably 1984, uh, then Eddie Bears was probably the top session drummer in Nashville. Huh. So he played on, I mean, you're talking the, the Dolly Parton sessions. I mean, he was doing three, four sessions a day. Wow. And he was a partner. So I moved to Nashville. Uh, think, okay, okay, I got to get my country thing on. So yeah. I'm going to Nashville. So I had my cowboy boots and hats. And I, <laughs> and, and I remember walking to the session. And I was the only one dressed like that. Everybody was just in, like they were from L.A. or something. <laughs> So, but the cool thing is that uh, I would I would end up going to the sessions with Eddie, and so I moved to Nashville, being Eddie Barris' partner, but being in the middle of the Nashville scene, wow. and uh, would do songwriting with the guy who would who would have been the who had just won Songwriter of the Year or had the number one song, and Eddie would set up these sessions with him. So I was co-writing with him and and playing bass sessions. But my heart was in L.A. because all of my college buddies, mm -hmm. we had all made this pact that once we finished college, we were going to all move to L.A. and we were going to meet back up as a band. So even though I was in the middle of it, of the natural royalty, my heart wasn't there. Huh. I wanted to be out there with my buddies because the interesting thing is that I had college buddies that left school early, like um, – Rustin Calhoun was a sax player that I was in school with. He left to go on the road with Marvin Gaye. 
So right. you had people that were leaving and going on the road with earth, wind, and fire. Wow. And so I was like, man, I can't wait to graduate school so I can go out and do that and, and meet up with my buddies. So, so it was kind of interesting thing, though. I kind of, well, glad I did it because had that not happened, I probably wouldn't have been in a situation to actually hook up with, with the Commodores. So. Well, let's, let's hear another tune from the Commodores' uh, greatest hits. This is um, Thomas Dawson on Slippery When Wet. Welcome back here on the Colin Truesdell Jazz Jam, KCMJ.org. We're here with Mr. Thomas Dawson, who played keyboards and bass on that mm-hmm. on that track yeah. for uh, the, the Commodores' great, greatest hits. Uh, so, Thomas, 
you, you, you've been with the Commodores as the musical director for a long time, been with the Commodores a total of 26 years. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people are wondering, what brought you to Colorado Springs? As, well, my dear friend Perry Sanders uh, ended up uh, buying the, the Wyndham Grand building that uh, downtown and with Springs Orleans. So he was asking me to come out and visit and say, man, what in the heck is in Colorado Springs? I'm in L.A. What is over there? <laughs> so, I, so I came out. So he finally bugged me for about three months. And it's okay, all right, what the heck? Because I love him to death. He's such a dear friend. So I came out to uh, visit, and instantly I fell in love with the place. Wow. But I fell in love with the people. The people were so friendly and open and giving. And I'm coming from L.A., which is just the opposite of that. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so that's what kind of got me here, and he offered me the, uh, the position to come in and be the entertainment director you know, for the window, and then I started playing uh, at, at the restaurant. Awesome. And then I started teaching at, uh, the, you know, the conservatory, the Colorado Springs Music Conservatory with Linda Weiss. And I just found this really cool community of people here in arts and music and people like yourself and, and Sean. <laughs> because the one thing that I really dug, man, and really impressed the heck out of me is that uh, people were so inviting musically, and that's not always the case. You know, you come in and people feel threatened. You know, but uh, I've you know I've been welcomed with open arms, and I've never felt more welcome anywhere than here. So awesome! Um, I'm really happy to be here. Well, that's great. Uh, so so that's that's what's going on as far as how you're how you're getting you got here. Um, what have you got going on in the future? Anything cool coming up? Yeah, well, I still uh, travel. Uh, and tour with the Commodores, so which is Colorado Springs Airport is the best airport in the world to fly out of. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. You oh. only have to get there thirty minutes earlier. Oh to go. man, it's <laughs> so awesome. That is exactly right. But also, I'm the A and R director for a gospel record label called Dream Records, and uh, that's out of L.A. But I run my division uh, from here. I have about twelve artists I've I've signed and actually work with. And uh, my mastering studio, we've actually uh, built a recording studio here and a mastering studio. Wow. So, so we do all of the mastering for the labels. We've done about 40 projects this year already. Really? Mastering-wise. Wow. We just got our, our first number one billboard record that we mastered, which is New Hope Oahu. And <laughs> there, there goes your phone. Somebody's <laughs> trying to get in touch with you. <laughs> Well, oh, I'm sure there are all yeah. the number ones, huh? Yeah. Well, I, I mean, well, actually, uh, that that's that's probably that call uh, today because one of the I also um, signed acts to another division of this because this is all distributed through Capitol Records, and we also have another division called the Red Label, which I can sign non-Christian acts and and more things like jazz and all over the place. So I sign. Um, a gentleman by the name of Justin Gilbert, uh, who's the pianist for Justin Timberlake. Really? Timberlake, and he's a very great musician, great, I mean, awesome player, jazz, pop, funk, you name it. He is awesome, both piano and organ. So his record came out today. Oh, yeah? And, and, bef- and it was tough for me pulling away because there's been phone calls all day and, and interviews because when I left home to come here to do your interview and do your show... <laughs> Uh, his record was at number three on the iTunes charts 
Wow. Right now, so so that's so that phone Selling. call was actually probably that. Yeah, he was actually doing that. So and we're operating all of this right here in. In, in Colorado Springs. Colorado Springs. Jeez yeah. Louise. We have a studio called the Mountain Nest Studio here, and we also have the Mountain Nest Mastering Facility. And so you're taking on projects if people are interested in the local area? I do, yes. Awesome. Exactly. Well, you, uh, Thomas, do you have a website or anything like that? Under design right now. Under design? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. if people so wanted to catch you on maybe Facebook, or mm-hmm. they could catch yes. you on Facebook? Uh-huh. Awesome. He's on Thomas Dawson. Yes. So... <clears throat> I always like to ask this question because it's just kind of something that makes people think about this, but what would you say to a person that has all the right stuff as, as like a motivational, you know, mentoring approach? How, how would you tell, what would you tell them to, to keep on pushing, pushing and pursuing? As far as music? As yeah. As well, I mean, how, how do you, how do you, what would you tell someone? What would you mentor someone to, if they wanted to go big, you know, what would you tell them? Well, I say that you do this because you can not do this. You know, I feel that there are people who choose to do this, and there are people who are chosen to do it. Yeah. And when you're chosen, you have no choice in the matter. You have to do this. So I don't think you do it for financial gain. I think you do it for the passion and the love. And then if the financial gain happens, it will if you stick to it and if you're honest about it. Yeah. Yeah, because some people, I feel, kind of uh, look at it from the standpoint, hey, I'm the artist, I'm the musician, and everybody needs to give to me, and they put themselves on a pedestal. But actually, I feel that being a, being a musician, it's a very humbling situation, but it's also a position of giving. You have the unique ability to change someone's life, the way they feel about things, and yeah. that's a huge responsibility. It is. It's interesting. Oh, man. I you know it's been such an awesome thing to have you have you on this show. I you know I I know a little bit about Thomas Dawson because when we play gigs together, he tells me all these crazy stories and and you know for a guy like me, you know I've I've never been on the road extensively like you have and played these massive you know five thousand ten thousand seat auditoriums and whatnot. Um, but man, I, we are very fortunate to have you on the show. Hey, I'm fortunate to be here, if I may interrupt, because you're such an incredible musician and bass player. And the moment I heard you and Sean, who takes engineering to a whole nother level, you should hear him play piano. <laughs> that Talking about raising the bar, man, I am honored and humbled to be around you cats, man. This is awesome. Well, thank you so much, Thomas Dawson, for being on the show. If you're interested in, uh, again, we, we have a fundraising campaign going on. Um, you, you can head over to kcmj.org. And, and adopt yourself a Watt for $100. Yeah, man, let's adopt some Watts, man. We need some, that's what's missing. We need Watts right we here. Need some, keep, we need some Watts. Come on, everybody. Let's join in with this. This is awesome. Well, thank you so much, Thomas. And, and if you are so inclined, kcmj.org is where you can purchase yourself a Watt for $100. We actually have a barn raising event coming up here. Um, so... A little bit coming up, uh, we have a, a track off of the Quartet of Jazz Death album I put out here a couple years, or actually last year. Uh, it was uh, it was featured on uh, and in several different bass magazines. And uh, and I and just to mention one more thing about a project I got coming out. It's called "It's All About the Hustle," out on My Shows Live Records. It hits the streets on October twentieth, two thousand fifteen. And uh, we appreciate you guys tuning in. Come back next time, next Sunday night, 8 p.m. Mountain Daylight Time. Colin Truesdale Jazz Jam. 